Hi, I'm Peter Harper, the Managing Director and CEO of Asina Advisors, and this is the Three Pillars Podcast. The objective of the Three Pillars Podcast is to shine a light on the value of a family office and how it can perpetuate wealth creation, preservation and education, and the value of being purpose-driven. So today's topic for the Three Pillars podcast is on uh, liquidity events and how they are simply an acceleration of cash flow. So, you know, for those entrepreneurs that are listening in uh, that are preparing for a significant life-changing liquidity event for the very first time, um, it, it can be hard for folks to hear this, but for most people, uh, you, you're likely only going to experience uh, this once. Statistically, um, that's what the data shows. And you know, the thing that we always like to talk about within our own business is that a liquidity event is simply an acceleration of cash flow, right? So, thinking through how uh, how capital post liquidity event is managed and subsequently invested. Uh, is a really, really uh, critical focal point. So today I'm joined by uh, Josh Luff and Alex Thompson. Uh, Josh is a portfolio man member manager for a number of significant family offices and has been a, a wealth manager in the ultra high net worth space uh, for many years. And Alex is a, is a partner uh, of mine and is a managing partner of uh, Woodpoint Capital. So Josh and Alex, thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Great to be here. Okay. Um, so just as a kickoff, each of you can you know, separately introduce yourselves and give us a bit, bit of an understanding of your, your, your background and, and what it is that you do. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll kick off. Um, so uh, so uh, thanks, Pete. I, I lead uh, uh, Woodpoint Capital, uh, which has been set up as a, uh, as a private markets investment platform for our, for our family office and, uh, and private investor clients. Uh, so when we, were, when we were launching the business uh, a few years ago, you know, we really set out to build the business uh, as a, an institutional grade uh, co-investment platform. And so you know, what, really what that means is, is, is providing investment grade uh, opportunities through to families that, that families otherwise wouldn't be seeing um, in a structure that is appropriate for how they manage their portfolios. Uh, and I think that was the piece that we felt was missing uh, previously, um, is that the feedback from a lot of our families was there was a real uh, preference to avoid commingled funds, uh, to avoid blind pool structures, uh, and, and really uh, a preference to see you know, single asset uh, deal flow, uh, to see really strong, uh, high quality uh, deal flow. Um, and that's really uh, what we aim to do. Um, so you know, Woodpoint's responsible for assets uh, right across uh, private markets, uh, private equity, uh, private real estate, real assets. Uh, but uh, across everything we do, we, we, we do have a focus around uh, cash flow. Uh, and, we, and we do have a focus around, uh, uh, around capital protection. Uh, and, and we aim to do that through understanding the, the uh, underlying asset base each of our investments hold. So um, I'm happy to sort of jump in into that in a bit more detail later, but hopefully that gives a bit of a flavor. That's great. And, and Josh? Yeah. 
So I got my start uh, in the business uh, with a large multinational bank. I uh, started in their um, associate program and quickly found a love for working with business owners in particular. I found that I was able to connect with them, uh, started developing uh, a nice group of clients and partnered up with the commercial bank at this large multinational institution. Uh, a lot of the commercial bankers subsequently left to go to a regional um, uh, bank and I followed, I followed along with them, uh, along with the clients, which was, which was nice. Um, from there, that business continued to grow and grow significantly uh, and working with these all tri net worth individuals over a period of years. Uh, a few of them came to me and had asked and said, hey, you know, we like what you're doing for us. Would you would you be willing to come do this directly um, and work for just our families? And so it was interesting. Uh, we tried to see if we could set it up as a single family office structure. Uh, there were two business, business partners. Um, unfortunately, they were not related out to 10 generations. So it meant we had to set up as a multifamily office, which also meant then that we could bring in other families to the mix as well. Um, so it's, I'm very fortunate in the sense that I work with a very small group of families and, and look over their entire investment portfolios, making sure that we're tying together the investments, the estate planning, uh, managing uh, and overseeing the cash flow, but bringing everything in from stocks and bonds and mutual funds and ETFs uh, to the private investments, uh, much like with, with Alex uh, Woodpoint. Uh, and we partner up with them. And last but not least, we tie in that, that uh, cash flow planning and, and the estate planning in particular uh, to make sure it's all being done as efficient of a manner as possible. Yeah. And, and this is, I mean, this is the reason why I wanted to have you two gents on here uh, together. I mean, in any portfolio, uh, there should be the you know the right balance of public securities and, and, and private market investments, right? And so I think that you know having, uh, and particularly for entrepreneurs that might might have had a concentrated investment uh, framework, and which is the case for you know most first gen entrepreneurs, you know even if they've had substantial cash flow um, in their business they might have predominantly had a substantial concentration in, in their operating business, right? So this, you know, this notion of diversifying and spreading risk across public markets and private markets can be a major mind shift. I think there's two things that, uh, that's kind of struck out to me listening to your introductions. I, I think both of you guys have a heavy focus around not only growing a capital base through, through capital appreciation, but cash flow. Right, and I think that that is, um, you know, a, a critical thing for folks to understand when when they've gone through a liquidity event and they're, and, they're, and they're focusing on, you know, okay, well, how how do we want to position ourselves on a go forward basis? So, um, gents, the 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 title of today's session was around liquidity events and, and liquidity events being a self acceleration of cash flow. Um, you know, I, it's been my experience that a lot of entrepreneurs do not actually think like that. I mean, the 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 pushing a business to the point where it's big enough uh, to sell uh, may even just be a mechanical mind shift, a mechanical mindset, right? As to the reason behind why they're driving a business uh, the way in which they are. Um, 
Why is it important for entrepreneurs, and particularly first-gen entrepreneurs, to get their heads around the liquidity event being an acceleration of cash flow? Well, I, I can jump in there. Uh, the the first generation, it's it's been the the people I've worked with the most, and again, they think uh, as business owners should, uh, and very pragmatically in many respects. But oftentimes, uh, I think that they they understand their business so well. Uh, that they look at that as their one asset that they have uh, rather than saying, hey, if I were to sell, I can accelerate those cash flows and then reinvest those in a different manner. Um, and I've seen all sorts of pitfalls along the years uh, to going off and then trying to think you're going to double down and buy another business and go all in on that one business. Uh, and at the same time, I've seen lots of success stories too where they say, hey, you know what? I I don't need to keep working and I can live uh, a more fulfilling life in whatever terms they deem that to be appropriate. And the simple example is this, is it's, let's say it's a business owner that the business is doing well, they're, it's throwing off a million dollars in, in income to them every year. Uh, say, say when you add back the depreciation and amortization, uh, say it's a million and a half, um, they're able to take and, and turn and sell that business for call it seven and a half million dollars. Um, so not, not a large business, not a small business, just a nice medium sized uh, business. And they say, hey, we, we can sell it for seven and a half million dollars um, and have that today rather than waiting year in and year out for that million dollars. It's like, yeah, that's an annuity stream of a, of a million dollars that's coming in. Um, but at the same time, we could take that seven and a half million dollars and we can use it to invest in multiple assets, not just, just in one, um, and, and make a decent return. May, might not be making a million dollars every single year in, into perpetuity, um, but we can make a significant return and the clients can then live off of that. Um, just depends on each situation. You know, I've had businesses that have sold for hundreds of millions of dollars and I've seen businesses that have sold for you know five to ten million dollars um, and and each family is very very different uh, a quick example here as well as is, is you have families that they they sell their business for seven and a half million dollars and they're going to have enough cash flow to survive their lifestyle for the rest of their lives and their next generation in a likelihood depending on how their kids spend their money uh, flip side is I had a, a gentleman that sold his business for $150 million and we had to have the, a very uncomfortable discussion of, hey, you're, you're spending through this cash at such a rate, you will be out of money in the next 10 years and you're 50 years old. <laughs> so so it was, it was um, uh, a very interesting conversation in that regard. Uh, so Long story short, with acceleration of cash flows, is there are many, many things to consider. Everything from the family dynamics to what can be done, what they want to do. Um, but the bottom line is this: is the quickest way to accreting wealth is through a concentrated position, their business. Um, and I like to tell them all the time: the the fastest way to eroding wealth is through a concentrated position. And I've seen in many instances where a business owner takes and then. Uh, takes that cash flow, tries to reinvest in another business that they don't truly understand and they go all in and suddenly that, that nest egg that they had that was quite substantial has been eroded to a fraction of what it was initially because they bought into a business that they really didn't understand.
Yeah, and I, I think that's a really amazing point because as I was talking about this notion of being a serial entrepreneur, the reason that a lot of folks are successful in their first first business is because they've got their 10,000 hours, right? They've, they've done the work, they understand the business, they've made some gains, maybe there was a bit of luck, right? But, but it is a very specific skill to be able to roll in again and again and again um, and, and do it successfully. So Josh, really appreciate those stories. Alex? Yeah, I mean, I mean I'd, I'd echo uh, a lot of what Josh said. Um, I, I think with the, the families that we typically deal with uh, tend to fall into one of two buckets. Um, I think the first piece is, is, is this category we're talking about, uh, you know, families or, or, or first generation entrepreneurs who have been through a liquidity event and, and are now faced with a, a lump sum um, and a, uh, you know, have a range of questions and, and no doubt a range of different you know, ambitions and, and goals for, for what to what to do next. Um, but but ultimately, you know, when, when we sit down to chat through with them, you know, uh, you know how should an investment strategy look for them? Uh, it, it really centres around two things: it's you know, de-risk and start to provide and, and grow a steady cash flow stream. Uh, I mean, we the, the second bucket of, of families we deal with, second, third, uh, and beyond gen families who who you know, may be uh, may be faced with a similar uh, 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 you know, uh, problem where they have a lump sum, um, but the the outcome from an investment strategy perspective is is not dissimilar. I mean, it's it's de risk and it's start to build cash flow. Um, you know that that cash flow is going to you know afford them. Uh, you, know, you know, flexibility with living expenses, uh, flexibility with future ventures, um, and so it's it's it really is the, the critical piece. Uh, I think just to to, to circle back to uh, to this emphasis around cash flow. Yeah, and and I mean, you, Josh, the story you were telling before about the you know about the client who had you know major liquidity event, and you thought he was going to you know burn to one hundred and fifty million in in. Um, 10 years i mean i think anyone that's in this business mm -hmm. had some experience with a with a with a client like that i mean we we've um gotten to the position where you know when we're going through a process and trying to pitch for work with a client it's a two-way interview and and the, the the strong view that we have is if we don't feel like a client buys into these issues and understands that there is a material change to their, their, their life circumstances, i.e. they might've they might have uh, sold the golden goose. And so they have to change their attitudes to how they spend, right? Because they're spending capital now, possibly not cash flow. Um, you know, we won't necessarily represent them because it might not be a good fit. How do, you, how do you think about that as well? I mean, if you don't, if you have a client that you think's not, doesn't have the right headspace when it comes to expense management, would that be your attitude? Yeah, so it, it's an interesting it's it's an interesting uh, thought. Um, you know, it depends on what part of my career I was in, right? Like at first, when you're when you're younger, the the saying goes, uh, first you survive and then you thrive." So, so you did anything you could for anybody just to just to stay afloat. Um, but as you get further along in your career, you quickly realize that there's there are people that fit better, and you don't want to spend all your time putting out fires um of of messes that you didn't create right so um i what, what i found was over the years that the further that somebody deviates from from the way that finances should be 
manage to a certain degree. Again, there's a, oftentimes for ultra high net worth individuals, a lot of latitude. Uh, that's, that's what wealth has done for them is they've created lots of options uh, that are available to them. Um, so, and it, which is fantastic. It's, so I try to, I try to always take a step back and look at it and say, okay, is this somebody I can work with that will be also coachable and teachable? If, even if they don't fully subscribe right away, is it somebody that we could get there over time through time and education? Again, if it's a spectrum and, and we need to be within here and they're way out here, well then usually we can figure it out pretty quickly that we're both not a good fit for each other. And, and in the few circumstances where they've still wanted to work uh, with me, I've, you know, you do get to that point, Peter, where you politely turn down to say, hey, this is not going to be the right fit. You know, you're going to be best served um, by finding somebody that meets the philosophy and style. Uh, one, la one last uh, quick story there. It, it was very interesting. Um, had a client uh, about five years ago now, six years ago, something like that. Uh, he had sold for $42 million dollars. Um, had a, a very different investment philosophy, one that I was just like, hey, that's just not realistic. He had other advisors that were throwing out some unrealistic expectations, or at least in my opinion, were very unrealistic. Um, so I'm a year later at a holiday party and he was talking to an attorney and he said to the attorney, uh, hey, this is the only guy that was honest. He would, did this and that. And he, he said this. He goes, oh, so you're one of his clients? He goes, no, uh, I, I went with the other guys. He goes, how'd that work out for you? He goes, it hasn't worked out well. And so it's interesting because a couple of years after that, he became a client uh, of ours because it took him some time. He had, uh, had to unfortunately or take the more difficult path. But at the same time, that's sometimes what it takes. So it's, I think that people do have the ability to change over time, but sometimes it is just not best to take them on right away. Uh, if they're yeah, so no, far off. Yeah, if clients are coming, coming to this for the first time and they've got to really understand risk-adjusted returns, right? I mean, like, it's all very easy to quote a big number. Um, it's all relative to risk, to the risk you're, you're, you're taking. Um, so right. that's a great story. I mean, Alex, do you have anything else you want to add, add to that? Uh, no, no, I think, I think that's all for me. Shifting gears slightly for anyone who's going through a liquidity event for the first time, you maybe they've only had a, you know, a modest amount of money invested in the market. And so, you know, let's say they're transitioning from a position where they've had sub a million to now putting, you know, 10, 20, 50 million in the market. Um, mm -hmm. What would you say to someone who's interviewing um, a manager, a financial advisor for the first time as they're going through the process? Yeah, so it, I feel like the best, but the best advisors are the ones that a you know well and you've known for a while. If you're just starting to have interviews with investment managers uh, at the time of sale, uh, often uh, you're you're already starting uh, behind the proverbial eight ball. It's usually good to have those conversations, you know, a year or two in advance and start getting to know them. You know, if, uh, folks, if you know, if you know you're going to be in that 50 to $100 million space, you should have at least a, a person or two or somebody that you know that works with those sorts of, uh, those sorts of clients as well. Uh, you don't want to go to a guy that primarily works with one to $5 million clients. They're just not going to be able to serve you. Uh, and then again, depends on size of, um, size of, um, asset base, 
but if you're in the call it five to $25 million space, if you go to somebody that's, that's a hundred million dollar person, you're probably not going to get the time and attention that you're really going to demand. So it, it's also important to get uh, the right type of advice and the type of advisor. Um, it just knowing their clients and, and the type of person that they work with is, is important. You don't want them to be learning on you. You know, if I work with hundred million dollar clients all day long, Am I am I willing to go and try to help somebody to the best of my ability that has you know two or three million dollars? Sure, but the product set is completely different. The advice set is completely different. Um, the things to focus on are completely different. And so while I might be able to do it, um, I'm not going to be an expert in it, and that's really a disservice to those sorts of clients. And I think too many advisors try to be all things to all people. Um, so I'd say number one, you don't want them. To to be learning on you. Um, another thing is obviously you want them to be trustworthy. There's a lot of nice people out there. There's no question about it. Um, but making sure that they're also trustworthy. Uh, and then I think the last part is somebody that's truly passionate. Again, I, I struggle with this uh, because I think there's passionate people at all in all groups of, of advisors. But I think there's a lot of uh, folks that aren't truly passionate that, that can just they watch CNBC a little bit more than their client and therefore they'll use all the, the quips that they hear on, on, on TV or someplace else rather than that's truly passionate and doing the research and, and um, trying to find new ways to benefit their clients. I think that bar none is, is somebody that you'd want to at least seriously considering partnering up with. Well, you know, I think you cover off on a lot of really good points. I mean, I think for anyone that's coming to this right for the first time. If I think getting to know the industry and understand the economic factors that sit under advisors that, you know, I think at the lower end of the market, they're very heavily commoditized and product driven because you quite frankly, there's just not the revenue to sustain highly customized product offerings. Whereas as you go up the J curve, um, you know, like in uh, any any advisory business, right? Comparing this back to uh, you know to corporate attorneys, you know, you wouldn't get the guy that's advising on you know the, the Sprint T-Mobile merger, um, you know, to to come in and and help in help out with the sale of a you know a five million dollar gas station, you know, right. down down the road, right? It's like so. That I think there's very practical elements of what you're saying that make, make, make a lot of sense. Um, I, I love the trust, you know, trust factor is a critical thing. I, I agree with you as far as timing, you know, when we ever, when we would talk to clients, we were trying to engage with them probably, you know, two to three years out from a liquidity event um, where we're starting a process with them, getting them to think about, you know, okay, well, if we sell, what is, what are the numbers like? What's my nut going to be? So what's going to drive yeah. um, this deci decision making? And I think any of the guys that are any good in this business, in the business you're in, are more than happy to spend the time to open the bonnet on what they do in a you know in a sort of pony show leading up to a liquidity right. event. So you know people should should absolutely go through that process. And then the one thing that I think is super critical is references, right? Is, you know, asking for a number of client references. So if you want to verify and say, okay, listen, you know, how many clients do you have that have this amount of liquidity? I mean, as you said, no one wants to be the largest fish 
if someone's used to dealing with 5 million accounts and you're walking in and giving someone a 50 million account, um, you know, you, you're, you're going to have challenges. So understanding that's, um, yeah, that's critical. Alex, do you have any other comments you'd make on that? Yeah, I think probably the one thing that we see quite a lot with, within our uh, client base uh, is, you know, Josh, you touched on it, which was understanding your advisor's specialisation. So, you know, a lot of the families we work with are cross-border private clients, uh, you know, families that, uh, you know, maybe, you know, foreign nationals um, running, either running a business here in the US or running a business abroad with, with family here in the US. Um, so understanding you know, what needs to happen from a structuring uh, taxation perspective um, you know, can can make a, a meaningful impact um, to to outcomes. And and the reality is is that cross border advice in particular it is highly specialised and it's chronically underserved. So finding uh, finding the right advisor uh, if you do have a specialist situation is is critical. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I mean, you know, the, the impact on getting the tax piece and the structuring piece wrong can have a, you know, completely wipe out the benefits of a, of a portfolio that's been, you know, that's been recommended, right, and compressed yields. So so having a good team of people's, um, yeah, absolutely critical. I think that's one of the amazing things about the, U, the US market. There is, it is such a um, uh, large and dynamic market that there is, there is enough business for highly specialized folks to really con concentrate their expertise. Mm. Um, okay. We're wrapping down to sort of the, the, the end of the today's session. Um, one sort of final area that I wanted to talk with you today is about your interaction with, you know, data, and your clients again let's assume a client first gen is going through this process has been through this inter interview process and and has you know said um josh and alex we want to hire you as a team you know josh on you know portfolio management alex we want you to come in and help on um on building out a portfolio of alternative investments um how important is data to the way in which that you develop and manage, uh, you know, investments, which, you know, uh, you know, obviously is, is critical. And then the interaction with the, the management and presentation of that data back to your client. Quick, quick phrase, garbage in, garbage out, right? <laughs> uh, better, the better the data you have, uh, the better the decision-making uh, you can do as a, or make as an advisor to the, to those clients. So, uh, I mean, dovetailing into the conversation that we just had, even about people having liquidity events, that one of the primary reasons why you want to be engaged early as an advisor is to understand what, what is changing and what all the moving pieces are. You know, I, I've heard business owners say, hey, I don't want to engage somebody because I don't want to jinx it, or I, I don't want to count my chickens before they hatch. And it's like, well, no, you know, things do change. We understand that, but the more we can understand all the pieces, whether it's spending, whether it's lifestyle, whether it's uh, preferences, uh, whether it is is straight just finances, right? Like the, the just the just the pure bank accounts, numbers, assets. Um, the better we can advise, the better we can structure, the better we can 
uh, say, hey, you know what, let's take our time, let's, let's move some of this outside the estate now to freeze it and preserve it, maximize uh, exemptions, uh, uh, gain tax benefits. I mean, there's so many different reasons, uh, but data is, is really the key there. Without good data, uh, you know, I, I, I could say, hey, this is the greatest investment in the world, but if you need all this cash flow and I'm going to lock it up through this greatest investment in the world for the next 10 years, what, what do we do in between there? You know, if, if, if I'm saying, hey, you're going to get this great return, but you got to lock it up over 10 years and you're saying, hey, I need that cash in the next 10 years. Uh, well, it's not such a great investment anymore. Um, so again, data, data is incredibly important. And then being able to turn that around and, and then report on it properly is also extremely important uh, to be able to make future decisions. Yeah, that's one of the biggest things that we try and we try and start an early dialogue with is with with our clients that we think could be good multifamily office candidates is thinking through um, yeah family reporting right and and again going back to that the, the earlier sort of dialogue we we're having about compression of cash flow um, when there's a lot of money around a lot of these folks that might roughly know how much money they're spending right but they haven't ever really thought it, thought it through and managed that in a, in, a, in, a, in a way that's impactful. And that's the biggest thing that we, we try and change. Now, I think for folks that are in the ultra category where it's that next level of wealth, where it's, you know, it, I won't say there's enough money that you could never spend it because <laughs> when there's a will, there's a way, um, but it's, it's more challenging, right? So um, uh, Alex, do you have any thoughts on this? Um, yeah, I think that's right. I mean, particularly for for, uh, for business owners, you know, it, it's quite common. You know, they, they understand the importance of data uh, and the importance of, of, of regular reporting and, and um, uh, to, to quote another throwaway, you know, if you can measure it, you can manage it. Um, so, you know, in their operating businesses, we find that they're, they're very sharp, our clients. But when it comes to reporting at the family level and the, on, on the personal balance, balance sheet, that rigor is just not there uh, necessarily as much. So yeah, that's brilliant. Well, gentlemen, um, I, I want to thank you both for joining. This has been a great discussion. I've, I've really um, appreciated the feedback and, and your and your thoughts, and uh, look forward to catching up with you both next time. Great, thanks, Pete. Great, thanks, guys. Thanks, Bye. thanks Peter. That was another episode of the Three Pillars podcast. Thank you so much for listening in. You can find more information about our firm at asceneradvisors.com. Follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter for frequent updates and weekly blogs. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast whenever you're listening and check in every Wednesday for another episode. This has been the Three Pillars podcast. information covered in this vlog podcast represents the views and opinions of the guests. It does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of CLP Asset Management. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. No guarantee is made to the completeness or accuracy of this information. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investment legal or tax advice. CLP Asset Management shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data, analysis, or opinions contained herein, or their use, which do not constitute investment advice, are provided as of the date written 
are provided solely for informational purposes and therefore are not an offer to buy or sell a security. Investments in securities are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Prices of securities may fluctuate from time to time and may even become valueless. This information has not been tailored to suit any individual. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or another qualified professional with any questions you may have regarding your business or personal planning. CLP Asset Management is a registered investment advisor within the state of Tennessee.